قل سے لمن فور ہوم میننگ ہو اونس ٹو ہو ڈز اٹ بلانگ واٹ میں دیٹ وچ فس میں ان دا اسکائز ول ارد اینڈ دی ارتھ آس دم دس کوشچن او پروفیٹ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم یو ڈاؤٹ اباؤٹ دا فیکٹ در اللہ الون از گاڈ اللہ الون ڈیزرو ورشپ اوکے ٹیل می ہو از اٹ دیٹ اونس وٹ ایور دیٹ از ان دا ہیونس اینڈ دی ارتھ ہو ڈز اٹ بلانگ ٹو واٹس دی آنسر ہو ڈز آل آف دس بلانگ ٹو اللہ سبحان و تعالی سو قل سے للہ ایٹ بلانگس ٹو اللہ He is the only one who owns everything that is in the heavens and the earth. So earlier, in the previous verses, what was mentioned? The fact that Allah is ilah. Now what is mentioned? That Allah is malik. He is also the owner. Because the fact that He is the owner, the only owner means that He alone deserves worship. In Surah Al-An'am, you will see this theme repeating over and over again. That Because Allah is the creator, this is why He deserves worship. Because He is the owner, this is why He deserves worship. Because Allah is Ar-Rabb. And who is Rabb? The Khaliq and the Malik. The creator and the owner. The mushrikeen of Makkah, they believed that Allah is the owner. Okay? And they also believed that He is the creator. Okay? But there was one problem that they had. They believed that yes, Allah is the owner, the creator, but He alone does not deserve worship. There are others also who deserve worship. This was their false belief. This was the problem with their belief. But the fact is that if there is only one who made and only one who owns, then that should mean that He is the only one who deserves worship. Does that make sense? So Tawheed, Rububiyah, okay, the fact that He alone is Rabb, also means Tawheed of Uluhiyah, that He alone is Ilah. He alone deserves worship. So, قُلْ سَيْ لِمَنْ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Who does all of this belong to? قُلْ سَيْ لِلَّهِ It belongs to Allah. If they don't reply, if they don't say, then tell them that it is only Allah who owns all of this. And that same Lord who owns everything, Kataba, He has prescribed ala nafsihi upon Himself ar-Rahmah, mercy. The same one who owns everything has prescribed mercy upon Himself. What does it mean by Kataba? It gives the meaning of faradah. Like in the Qur'an we learn, كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامِ Fasting has been made, فَرْض on you. كُتِبَ meaning it has been prescribed upon you, it is mandatory for you, you have to do it. You know when something is written, it's certain. If you say that I will do it, okay. But once you sign it, your writing is there, then that means you are bound, you have to do it. Alright? So just like that, كَتَبَ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ الرَّحْمَةِ Allah has made mercy mandatory on Himself. What does it mean? That He has made a firm promise of being merciful, of showing mercy to who? To everyone. All the creatures on this earth. People and ants. The elderly and those who are young. Men and jinn. Everyone. 
even those who don't believe, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows mercy to them as well. He shows mercy to them as well. In a hadith we learn that Allah the Most High has 100 portions of His mercy. You can understand Allah's mercy as divided into 100 portions. And He has sent only one portion of this mercy where? In this dunya. Meaning, the mercy of Allah that you see, by which you benefit, is only 1% of His entire mercy. And He has divided it among all His creation. And the feeling of mercy and compassion that His creatures feel among themselves is out of that share. So that's 1% of His mercy that He shows in this dunya that everyone enjoys. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not send that mercy, then those who disbelieve would not even find a sip of water. Would not even breathe a single breath. They wouldn't. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was not merciful towards them. So this is a fact that kataba ala nafsihi rahma He has prescribed mercy upon himself. He has made it mandatory on himself that he will be merciful. This is why he is ar-Rahman and ar-Rahim. He is the most merciful, the possessor of great mercy, and the one who shows much mercy as well. He is Arhamur Rahimin, the most merciful of those who show mercy, because Kataba ala nafsihir rahma. The Prophet ﷺ said, when Allah created the creation, He wrote in a book that He has with Him above the throne, that my mercy overcomes my anger. In the rahmati, my mercy overcomes my anger. This is why we see the mercy of Allah in this dunya more than we see His anger. That there are more people who are enjoying than there are people who are suffering. There are more people who are healthy compared to those people who are sick. Right? So this is a reality. Kataba ala nafsihi rahma. He is indeed very, very merciful because he has made it mandatory on himself. But then what happens? It's because of our own sins, our own shortcomings that we make ourselves undeserving of this mercy. We make ourselves undeserving of this mercy. Think about it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created you. This is about an average person. Gave you a healthy body. Right? Provided you with many nutritious, beneficial things that you could eat and really keep yourself healthy with. But then what do we do? We choose to eat that which harms us. We choose to do that which harms us. And then we suffer in our bodies. Right? When we become sick, if a person becomes you know, sensitive towards a certain food product, many times it's because of their own abuse. Right? It's because they have abused their body. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you a healthy body, you abused it. You did not take care of it. You neglected it. This is just one example of how Allah is merciful to us, very merciful. We do something and we deprive ourselves of that mercy. And... There are many people who benefit from this 1% of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy, but they live such lives that they make themselves completely undeserving of His mercy. So in the hereafter, they do not have any share of the 99% of His mercy that He has reserved for when? For the hereafter.
99% of his mercy, he has kept it for when? The hereafter. And yet, if a person goes to hell, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? Is it Allah's fault? Never, not at all. It is that person's fault. Because he deprived himself. He caused that mercy to be removed from him. Because Allah كَتَبَ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ الرَّحْمَةِ He has prescribed mercy upon himself. لَيَجْمَعَنَّكُمْ Surely he will definitely gather you إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ To the day of judgment. Meaning, on the day of judgment, he will gather all of you in one place. And this day of judgment, لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ There is no doubt in it. And on that day, he will show you what you did. What you did with his mercy. What you did with your pride. لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ الَّذِينَ خَسِرُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ Those who have lost themselves, فَهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ They will not believe. That no matter what warning you give them, these people are not going to believe. Now what's the connection over here? That Allah has prescribed mercy upon Himself and He will definitely gather all of you together. Why He will gather all of you together? To bestow on you that 99% of His mercy. But everyone will not be worthy of it. Now in this dunya, we see that where there is good, there is also evil. Right? Where there is you know, people enjoying, there are also people who are suffering. Reflect on your own life. There may be things that are really good and there may be things that are not so good and you're not happy about it at all. And then you wonder, where is Allah? How come He does not care for me? Does He not see what I'm going through? Does He not have any love, any compassion for me? I thought Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is supposed to be the most merciful. Where did that mercy go? You know, people say such things. Such thoughts come to our mind. But we need to believe that كَتَبَ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ الرَّحْمَةِ There is still mercy in whatever that is going on in my life. I may not like it, I may be suffering, but in reality this is part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. Think about it. If there is a mother, and I'm sure many of you can relate with this, right? she loves her children. So what does she do? She takes some chopping. She cooks nice things for them. Right? They want to go somewhere, she drives them. They want to go to their friend's house, she allows them. Would you say that this mother is very merciful? Would you say that she's very good? Tell me. Of course, this is how we want our mothers to be. All the time. Doing everything that we want them to. Right? And then you want to go to your friend's house and you say, Mom, may I go? And she's like, no. Like, I have the worst mom. She doesn't let me go anywhere. She doesn't realize I'm living in Canada. She doesn't realize that I go to a school and I have friends. I have life outside the house as well. Right? That same mother has given you so much, has benefited you in so many ways. One no from her. And what do we do? We write off everything that she's done so far. But analyze. If she has said no, was there a reason behind that no? Is there not mercy behind that no? What is that mercy? What is that love? What is that care? that she wants you to be home so that you can complete your assignment because it is due the next day and that is 20% of your entire mark. And she knows you haven't done it so far. This is the reason why she's not allowing you to go. So if she has refused you something, that is also out of what? Love for you. Alright? 
Likewise, you want a phone. Desperately. I remember when I was in high school, I wanted a cell phone. And this was several years ago. And at that time, you know, every other person was getting cell phones and I felt so deprived. I wanted a phone to myself. I begged my mom. But I got nothing except a no. And now I'm so happy that she didn't get it for me. Why? Because I saw how people wasted money, wasted their time, right? Made bad friends or their friends influenced them so much. So I'm so glad that out of her mercy, she said no to me and that saved me. That saved me. So there are many things that we don't realize today about why our parents are the way they are, but we understand those things when? When we become a parent ourselves. When we grow up ourselves. When we will graduate, inshallah, we will understand. Alright? When you will have your degree, then you will understand why your mom and dad were so tough. Okay? And just like that, there are many things that we don't understand. Why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed them to happen in our lives. And we will not understand until we meet Him. It's possible we don't understand until we meet Him. But, trust Him. You know, it's like when you know that somebody loves you, then even if a weird email has come from them, or a weird text message has come to them, or no response, then you know that, okay, she's fine inshallah. I mean, nothing's happened. Why? Because you know that she's a good friend and you know that you love her and she loves you, so everything's fine, inshallah, everything's cool. So just like that, we need to trust our Rabb. He loves me, He is merciful to me, so if there's something He's decided for me, it's all good. It's quite possible that you dislike something, but in reality it is good for you. And it's quite possible that you like something and in reality it is bad for you. Just yesterday in our Hadith class, Bukhari class, we learned about the story of this woman. She was a slave. Okay? And the tribe who owned her, they set her free. They set her free, but still she lived with them. She stuck around. Why? Because she had no family, nobody to go to. So even though she was freed, she just stayed with them. You can imagine, no family, no idea where she's from. So she just stayed with those people. One day, a girl... She was wearing a fancy red leather belt with white pearls on it. She went out somewhere and she took that belt off or that belt fell. So basically she didn't realize that the belt was on the ground and she walked away. A bird came, thought that it was a piece of meat, picked it up and flew away. Everybody started looking for that belt and they said, this slave woman, she must have stolen it. So they blamed her. She said, no. I didn't take it. They said, no, you took it. So they searched her. They searched her to the extent that they even checked her private part. That maybe she was hiding that belt over there. Imagine this woman in that distress. She is standing and the bird comes and drops the belt in front of the people. And she said, here is this belt that you were blaming me for. I was innocent. I never stole it. But she got so hurt that she left those people and she went to the Prophet ﷺ in Medina and she became Muslim. She became Muslim. She had no family, no house, nobody. The Prophet ﷺ allowed her that she may have her very own tent in the masjid. So imagine in the masjid, there is a tent. And whose tent is that? This woman's. She would stay in that tent in the masjid. And every other day, she would go to Aisha anha. 
and she would just come and talk to her. And every time she would come and talk to her, she would say, you know, these words of poetry. She would say, وَيَوْمَ الْوِشَاحِ مِنْ أَعَاجِيبِ رَبِّنَا أَلَا إِنَّهُ مِنْ بَلْدَةِ الْكُفْرِ أَنْجَانِي That the day of the belt, it is really of the great wonders of our Lord. Because it is what saved me from the land of disbelief. If that incident of the belt had not happened, she was saying that she would never have left those people. She would have remained on her kufr and perhaps died like that. That incident occurred. She was hurt, falsely accused. Imagine, she was violated. And she was really hurt. And that is what caused her to leave those people, leave that kufr, and go to the Prophet ﷺ and embrace Islam. So apparently it seems like, why did Allah allow this to happen? Why did Allah allow this to happen? But tell me, if this hadn't happened, would she leave? Would she come to Islam? No. So we just get stuck in why, why, why? And we don't look at the bigger picture. But when you know, when you trust that your Lord is all merciful, when your Lord is very, very merciful, then everything makes sense. Then everything is easy to accept. Then you look at what you have instead of what you don't have. You look at what you've learned instead of what you've suffered. You look at what you have gained instead of the misery that you have experienced. But this can only happen when you trust that my Lord is very, very merciful. And imagine, if out of that 1% of mercy, He bestowed this khair to me through this evil, imagine the 99% of His mercy that is awaiting in the hereafter. This is why Allah says that He will give the reward to those who do sabr. How much? بِغَيْرِ hisab, Without any measure. Without any account. Meaning, endless, limitless. More than a person can imagine, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward him on that day. Why? Because of his patience. Because of his ihsan. Because that is 99% of his mercy waiting for you. But you have to pass the test now. You have to accept his decree now. كَتَبَ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ الرَّحْمَةِ لَيَجْمَعَنَّكُمْ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ الَّذِينَ خَسِرُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ فَهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ But those who have lost themselves. How? Those who will lose themselves on the Day of Judgment by losing their lives, their bodies, you know, their families, their wealth, their deeds, because they're in the fire, having no enjoyment, nothing at all. فَهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Such people today, they don't believe. Meaning those who are headed towards the hellfire, then no matter what you show them, they're not going to believe. Walahu and for him, meaning he alone possesses. Ma sakana, that which reposes. Sakana becomes still. Sakana is from the root letter seen kafnun, and it's from the word sukun. What does sukun mean? To become still, literally. To have peace meaning to be still. So ma sakana, that which becomes still, that which comes to a stop, and sakana. Also is from sukna, which means to live, to dwell. 
So that which lives. So there are two meanings of sakana. First of all, that which comes to a stop, that which becomes still. And secondly, that lives, that exists. When? Filayli in the night, one nahari and the day. Meaning, he owns everything. There are some creatures that come to a stop in the night. Meaning they're moving, flying, running all day long. And in the night they're still, meaning they're resting, they're sleeping. Does anyone have birds in their house? All day long, what do they do? Chirp, 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 chirp. And at night time or when you put a blanket on their cage, what happens? Huh? They sleep, they are quiet. Their beaks become sakana. Right? They become still. So who owns those birds? We think we own them. In reality, who owns them? Walahu Allah owns. Walahuma sakana fil layli And some creatures are the exact opposite. All day long they're sleeping, and in the night they're awake. They're moving about. Right? So everything that comes to a stop, whether it is in the night or it is in the day, everything that lives in the night and the day, who owns it? Allah. وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ And He is the hearing and the knowing. Meaning He hears every sound. He hears every supplication. And He knows every being and its every deed. Whether it is asleep or it is awake, He knows. So, the Prophet ﷺ is made to ask, قُلْ say, Ask these people, غَيْرَ Is it other than Allahi Allah? أَتَّخِذُ I should take waliyan friend? Are you telling me that I should take someone other than Allah as a wali? Who is wali? Someone who is a friend, but not just friend, but also protector, guardian, someone who takes care of you. You want me to leave Allah and take someone else as my wali? That I should worship them, depend on them, ask them for help, trust on them, rely on them, hope from them, expect from them. This is what you want? I should turn to other than Allah? When Allah is فَاطِر The originator. فَطَرَ is to originate. Bring into existence the first time from non-existence. So He is the فَاطِر, the originator of السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Of the heavens and the earth. He alone created the heavens and the earth when nothing like them ever existed before. This is His creation. His idea. فَاطِرِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ And imagine someone who's created the heavens and the earth. How powerful, how strong, how able he is. And you want me to leave him and turn to somebody else? وَهُوَ And he alone, meaning Allah alone, يُطْعِمُ He feeds, meaning he gives ta'am to others. وَلَا And not يُطْعَم He is fed. He is the one who feeds everybody. And He is the one who is not fed. Whereas other beings that are worshipped, besides Allah, what is the reality? That people take food to those beings. Right? They take food to those beings. If it's an animal or a human being that they're worshipping, they're making money, why? To serve them with. Allah, He is the one who feeds all and He is not fed. What does it mean? He is the one who is independent and everyone depends on Him. On whom? 
on Allah. He is the only one who is independent. There are people who say, I'm independent. No, you're not. You still depend on so many things, so many people. You know, most importantly, you depend on Allah. So He alone is independent and everybody depends on Him. وَهُوَ يُطْعِمُ وَلَا يُطْعَمُ قُلْ say, إِنِّي أُمِرْتُ Indeed, I have been commanded an akuna that I should be awwal, the first to man aslama, one who submits. I have been commanded to be the first one to submit. Who? The Prophet ﷺ. Submit to who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why the first one? Because typically what happens? We wait for others. So are you going to do this too? Are you going as well? If you're going to do it, if you're going, then I will also do it. I will also come along. And if nobody's doing it, then what do we think? I shouldn't do it either. But the Prophet ﷺ is told, you take the lead. You take the first step. You submit. So tell the people, I have been commanded to be the first one who submits to Allah. وَلَا تَكُونَنَّ And tell them that you should never be. وَلَا تَكُونَنَّ And you should never be مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ Of those who associate partners with Allah. So basically two things are being mentioned over here. That first of all, since everything belongs to Allah, He alone is the originator, the creator. He alone is the provider of all. Then what does it mean? Every one of us should turn to Him, rely upon Him, seek help from Him, not others. And secondly, what is being mentioned in this ayah, that once you recognize Allah, then do not delay. Then run to Him, submit to Him immediately. And this excuse will not work that, oh, nobody is doing it. No. When Allah has told you to do something, then submit right away. Because the one who submits right away, that is a person who is truly obedient and submissive. Someone who submits, obeys just because everybody is doing it, you know, that's not a big deal. Like for example, people are Muslim today. Many people are Muslim today. Why? Because there are so many people who are Muslim. Your whole family is Muslim, so you're Muslim too. Okay, good thing. But for a person whose family is not Muslim, they are the only one for them to make this decision is a big decision. It's a big deal. It really shows their commitment and their sincerity. So the Prophet ﷺ is told that you surrender, you submit. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us for what? For His worship. I have not created men and jinn except that they should worship me. So when the purpose of our existence is to worship Allah, then do not delay and surrender immediately. Qul say, inni, indeed I, akhafu, I fear, in asaytu, if I disobey Rabbi my Lord, adaba punishment, yawmin azim of a great day. Who is being made to say this? The Prophet ﷺ, that tell the people, make this clear announcement, that I am afraid, that if I disobey Allah, there will be punishment on a great day. What is that great day? The day of judgment. If the Prophet ﷺ is afraid of disobeying Allah, then what does it mean for us? That we should have no fear? And we should disobey Allah happily? Because this is what we think. That oh, so and so is religious, so yeah, they cannot do it. But since I'm not that religious, this is why I can do it. Right? Or people think, oh, 
you know, you go to Al-Huda, you wear the hijab, so yeah, you shouldn't listen to music, but you know, I don't wear the hijab, I don't study the Qur'an, so it's okay for me. Not okay for you either. Not okay for anybody. Because if the Prophet ﷺ is being told, the one who was forgiven, the one who has promised paradise, if he is being told that you say that I'm afraid, if I disobey Allah, there will be great punishment on a great day, then the same thing goes for us. We should be even more afraid if Allah wouldn't spare His Prophet. You think we would be spared? What kind of a you know world we're living in? What kind of thinking do we have? If the Prophet ﷺ is afraid, we should be even more afraid. Man, whoever, yusraf, it is averted, anhu, from him, yawma'idhin, that day. Meaning whoever the punishment is averted from. Meaning whoever is saved from the punishment on that day, on the day of judgment, فَقَدْ then in fact, رَحِمَهُ He was merciful to him. Meaning Allah has indeed been merciful to that person. Who? The one who is saved from the punishment. And the one who is saved from the punishment, وَذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْمُبِينَ And that is the clear success. Meaning that is clearly success. It is nothing but success. There is no doubt about that success. So what is true success then? Being saved from punishment on the Day of Judgment. And if a person is saved from punishment on the Day of Judgment, that means Allah has indeed been merciful to him. And if a person suffers from punishment that day, that means that they have deprived themselves of the mercy of Allah. So the question is, how can a person be saved from punishment on the Day of Judgment? How? By staying away from disobedience. Because what leads to punishment? In عَصَيْتُ in عَصَيْتُ Rabbi. So write this down for yourself. إِنِّي أَخَافُ إِنْ عَصَيْتُ رَبِّي عَذَابَ يَوْمٍ عَظِيمٍ Write this down. Put it on the top of your laptop. Okay? Next to your computer. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it around the house to serve as a reminder for you and for your family members. That I'm afraid if I disobey Allah there will be great punishment in the hereafter. I will not be spared them. So I have to stop now. So every time there is a temptation, stop. Because there are great consequences. If nothing is stopping you from a sin, then look at fire. Look at fire. But the sad reality is that many houses don't even have fire in it. Right? So somebody who has fire, turn it on on the stove. And ask yourself, Would I put my hand in this fire? How conscious are we when we're putting something in the oven? Big oven mitts. And we're warning people, I'm opening the oven, everybody keep away. That same, the fire of hell is much worse. If we cannot tolerate the fire of this dunya, how on earth can we tolerate the fire of the hellfire, of Jahannam? So every time there is an urge, Remind yourself of the fire. Because having the urge, you're not accountable for. Inshallah, you're not sinful for that. What you're sinful for is if you act on it. Like for example, you're fasting and you're hungry. You want to eat. You're not sinful for that desire to eat. What are you sinful for? If you go and eat something. So just like that. This dunya, this life is what? A fast. Every urge we have, we have to resist it. We have to control it. It's getting difficult, 
Look at the fire. Remind yourself of that heat. And tell yourself, inshallah, iftar will be soon. When will that be? In the hereafter, which is not far away. Let's listen to the recitation of these verses. قُلْ لِمَنْ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ قُلْ لِلَّهِ كَتَبَ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ الرَّحْمَةِ لَيَجْمَعَنَّكُمْ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ الَّذِينَ خَسِرُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ فَهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ وَلَهُ مَا سَكَنَ فِي اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ قُلْ أَغَيْرَ اللَّهِ أَتَّخِذُ وَلِيًّا فَاطِرِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَهُوَ يُطْعِمُ وَلَا يُطْعَمُ قُلْ إِنِّي أُمِرْتُ أَنْ أَكُونَ أَوَّلَ مَنْ أَسْلَمَ وَلَا تَكُونَنَّ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ قُلْ إِنِّي أَخَافُ إِنْ عَصَيْتُ رَبِّي عَذَابَ يَوْمٍ عَظِيمٍ مَنْ يُصْرَفْ عَنْهُ يَوْمَئِذٍ فَقَدْ رَحِمَهُ وَذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْمُبِينَ وَإِنْ and if يَمْسَسْكَ He touches you اللَّهُ اللَّهُ بِضُرٍ with some harm فَلَا then no كَاشِفْ any remover لَهُ for it إِلَّا except هُوَ He alone وَإِنْ and if يَمْسَسْكَ He touches you بِخَيْرٍ with some good فَهُوَ Then he is عَلَى upon كُلِّ شَيْءٍ Everything قَدِيرٌ Always all able What do we learn in this ayah? That if Allah decides to afflict a servant with some harm then no one at all can remove that harm. If a person is suffering from some harm, why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended that for him, then no one at all can rescue him. No one can save him. And on the other hand, if Allah wishes to benefit a person, give him some khair, give him something good, then Allah is able to execute his will. Meaning none can stop Allah, none can prevent Allah from benefiting a servant. The word dur has been mentioned over here. And it's from the root letters dad, ra, ra. And dur is a very comprehensive term, a very comprehensive word that includes everything that a person could suffer harm from. Whether it is in the body or it is in the soul, the difference is that body is like, for example, you have a fever. That is what? Dur. A headache. Dur. A person has a serious illness. Dur. Alright? But also in the nafs, the soul. Like for example, a person is unhappy. They're sad despite having everything. They're depressed. Alright? Or they're feeling jealous. Right? They're unsettled. They cannot feel at peace. They cannot have confidence in anyone. They cannot have trust on anyone. So all of this is what? Examples of dur. But it's not just limited to 
the body and the soul. It also applies to any harm that a person suffers in his wealth. So for example, financial loss, okay, a huge debt that a person has to pay off, a huge loan that he has incurred, right? Likewise, a person losing their job. Likewise, in the family, any suffering that a person experiences in his family. So for example, children are sick, children are disobedient, can't get along with the parents, the spouse lives on a different planet. There's a huge distance between a person and their family or their friends, the people around them. That no matter how hard they try, their relationships aren't just working. So all of these are examples of dur. So dur is not just physical. Okay, It's not just tangible, it's also intangible. It's not just in your body, but it's also in your circumstances. So if Allah intends to harm someone with some dur. And this teaches us that any suffering that a person experiences only happens when Allah allows it. And we discussed earlier that Allah is the one who has decreed mercy upon Himself, meaning He has made it mandatory on Himself to be merciful. And if Allah harms someone, then what does it mean? That is also a part of His mercy. In this dunya, if we suffer from some difficulty, that is also a part of Allah's mercy on us. Because if we don't go through difficulty, we do not learn. We do not appreciate enough. Then we begin to take everything for granted otherwise. So when we experience difficulty, then we become grateful. Then we value what we have. Then we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if Allah intends to harm someone with some dur, and the wisdom, He knows about it, the reason, He knows better, we accept it. But what's being taught over here? That فَلَا كَاشِفَ لَهُ إِلَّهُ There is none who can remove it except for him. Kashif from kaf sheen fa. Kashf is basically to unveil something. Unveil. So for example, let's say a woman has her face covered. When she removes that veil, that's kashf. Okay? So she has unveiled her face. When that veil was removed, when it was taken off, then the face that was hidden became exposed. It was revealed. So the word kashf is also to remove something. Okay? To remove something. So if Allah intends harm for someone, no one at all can remove that harm. No one can take your headache away. No medication can take that fever away. No treatment can take that toothache away. Mm? No counselor can take that depression away. Nobody can. No one can remove it except who? Illa huwa. Except for Allah alone. So what does this teach us? That whenever we are in difficulty, any kind of difficulty, then who should we turn to? Who should we turn to for help? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who should we ask for relief? Allah. But typically, what is our reaction? I'm aching? Tylenol. Hmm? I'm hurt? Call my mom. I'm annoyed? Let me post online. Right? I'm irritated? Let me yell at someone. Right? This is what we do. When we're suffering from some harm, we depend on others. We think that something material, a human being, or something physical, can remove that difficulty from us. But that's not the case. The only one who removes the difficulty is who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَلَا كَاشِفَ لَهُ إِلَّا هُو 
This is why if you're ever sick, you go to the doctor and they figure out what the problem is with you and they give you the right medication and alhamdulillah you get cured, then what do you say? What should you say? That doctor is the best? I trust him, I'll take anything that he prescribes in the future? Huh? No. Allah is the one who cured me. Because who gave the correct understanding to the doctor at that time? Hasn't it happened that so many people, they were diagnosed incorrectly? And this is why they were given wrong medication, they were treated wrongly? Hasn't it happened? And that has made their problems much worse for them. Even though they've gone to the best doctors in the world. So, فَلَا كَاشِفَ لَهُ إِلَّا Even though on the apparent it seems like a person has been helpful, or a medication has been helpful, the change of circumstances has been helpful, they are not the cause. They are just the means through which your difficulty was alleviated. Who's the cause? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَلَا كَاشِفَ لَهُ إِلَّا And on the other hand, وَإِنْ يَمْسَسْكَ بِخَيْرٍ فَهُوَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ If he intends to give you something good, then he is able to do everything. Meaning none at all can stop him. This is why the Prophet ﷺ used to say after salah, اللَّهُمَّ لَا مَانِعَ لِمَا أَعْطَيْتَ وَلَا مُعْطِيَ لِمَا مَنَعْتَ That, O oh Allah, there is no one who can prevent what you gave. And there is no one who can give what you have prevented. So whether we are in pain or we want relief, you know, everything, we should ask who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because pain and relief, both are from who? Him alone. So when pain is from Him, relief is from Him. In all our circumstances, we turn to Allah. Because everything happens at His command, by His permission. His decision, no one can alter. When He gives something, it can never be taken away. Unless and until He allows. Therefore, ask Him alone. Turn to Him alone. وَهُوَ And He is القاهر, the subjugator. فَوْقَ Above عِبَادِهِ His servants. وَهُوَ الْحَكِيمُ الْخَبِيرُ And He alone is the wise and the one who is all aware. He is the قاهر over His servants. قاهر from قَهْر قَافْهَا رَا And قَهْر means to overpower someone. Meaning to control them fully. So they can do nothing before you. They cannot withstand you. They cannot challenge you in any way. They just give up. They surrender. Like for example, if there is a little baby, alright, and the baby is screaming, trying to get out of your arms, but because you are stronger, what do you do? You hold the legs and the arms, and you give them a tight hug, and he can only give up. He can only surrender. Why? Because you have done qahr over the baby. So the baby's power is nothing in comparison to yours. You can execute your will entirely, entirely. The baby cannot avoid, cannot get away. And this is our reality before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That He is al-qahir fawqa ibadi. He is the subjugator over His servants. When He commands something, no one can avoid. When He decides something, no one can run away. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala challenges the creation. That oh, human beings and jinn, if you try to escape the heavens and the earth, go ahead. You cannot do so. Where will you go? Because wherever you go, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power is there as well. 
So وَهُوَ الْقَاهِرُ فَوْقَ عِبَادِي This is why if he wants something evil from you, no one can protect you. And if he wants something good for you, no one can take that away from you. Because وَهُوَ الْقَاهِرُ فَوْقَ عِبَادِي But look at the next part of the verse. Beautiful. وَهُوَ الْحَكِيمُ الْخَبِيرُ He is the wise and the acquainted. What does it mean by this? That he is the wise. Meaning, If there is a human being, if there is a person, and because of the authority and the power they have, they are forcing you to do something, right? And you disagree with them. You're crying, but you're doing it because you're being forced. You were given no choice. You disagree with them. And it's quite possible that what they're forcing you to do is wrong, is harmful for you, harmful for others, but you are given no choice. But when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, If He forces something on us, whether it is a decision concerning our lives, concerning our body, concerning our property, concerning our family, no matter what it is, we know that He is Al-Hakim. So whatever decision He makes for us, it is based on what? His wisdom. It is based on His wisdom. So at the end of the day, it is always, always going to be good for us. وَهُوَ الْحَكِيمُ And He is Al-Khabir. He is fully aware of the struggle that you're going through, of the difficulty that you're enduring. He knows, He's fully aware. And this is why He will reward the patient ones without any limit. He will reward a person for every effort that he has made sincerely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So وَهُوَ الْحَكِيمُ الْخَبِيرُ Every decision of His is based on His hikmah. And we see that sometimes we want something. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not give it. We're making dua every day. But Allah doesn't give it. And people start to wonder over here, what's going on? Am I really that bad? Am I really that sinful? What do I have to do to have Allah accept my prayers? The thing is that He is Al-Qahir. No one can force Him. You have to give up before Him. No one can force Him. But remember, If he is not giving you something, there is some wisdom behind that. Likewise, you don't want something, but it's forced upon you. You don't want something, it's forced upon you. For example, many people, they don't want children. But what happens? One child after the other. And sometimes women are like, we don't want the children, but do we really have to go through this? Yes, you have to, because Allah decided that for you. Allah decided that fate for you. You have to accept it and know that in this decision of His is what? His wisdom. So there is some benefit for you. Hidden benefit that you don't see. But it is there. He is Al-Hakim and He is Al-Khabir. قُلْ say أَيُّ شَيْءٍ Which thing أَكْبَرُ is greater? شَهَادَةً in testimony. The people of Makkah, like we learned earlier, they would repeatedly ask the Prophet ﷺ for miracles. And what response did they get? Nothing. You're not getting any of these. The Qur'an itself is a miracle. There are many miracles that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed within you, around you. You should see them and recognize your Lord through all of these miracles. And then they also demanded that an angel should come. Right? Why? To say that you are the Prophet of Allah. When the angel will tell us, then we will believe in you. Okay? So they would ask for the testimony of others. Someone great who would testify that yes, Muhammad ﷺ is indeed the Prophet of Allah. 
So Allah says, قُلْ Say to them, أَيُّ شَيْءٍ أَكْبَرُ شَهَادَ What thing is greatest in testimony? Meaning whose testimony is greatest? If there are five people, okay, and they are to testify, whose testimony would be greatest? Depending on their status. Depending on their truthfulness. So if there is one person who has a reputation of lying sometimes and being truthful sometimes, then their testimony is not the greatest. It's not that reliable. If there is another person who is known for being non-serious all the time, their testimony, is that reliable? No. But if there is a person who is known for his honesty, for his knowledge, for his truthfulness, then if they testify, is their testimony reliable? Is it? Let me make this easier for you. Three people, okay? One is your brother, one is your mother, and one is your friend. Okay? Three people come and tell you that, let's say something has happened. Okay? Your brother is five years old. And you know that he loves to just say things. He uses his imagination a lot. He comes and tells you. Would you believe him? Would you? No, you wouldn't. You're like, whatever. You'll hear and you'll ignore. Even though you might be surprised for a moment, but you'll be like, five-year-old kid, what does he know? You know, he might just be using his imagination. So you ignore him completely. Then comes your friend. You're like, you know what? Stop joking with me. Right? They tell you something, you're like, stop joking with me. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? Right? We say such things. And then your parents tell you about something. Those people who really look up to their parents. Right? If your parents tell you about something, would you believe them? Yes, you would. Why? Because their knowledge is more, their experience is more, they are more reliable. Okay? So this is the question that is being asked. That whose testimony is greatest? Whose word would you accept? That Muhammad is the Prophet of Allah. Because sometimes people want that, oh, you know, there should be a voice coming from the tree telling people that yes, Islam is true. Hmm? There should be computers talking to people, telling them that Islam is true. That Muhammad was the messenger. There should be a rock, there should be a mountain, or you know, there should be weird things happening, telling people that Muhammad is true. And this is why we love such pictures that have La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah written on them, whether it's on a fish or in a tomato or in rocks or in trees. So we save these pictures, we forward them everywhere because we think this is, wow, this is such a big evidence. We think it's such a big evidence. Allah says, قُلْ أَيُّ شَيْءٍ أَكْبَرُ شَهَادَةً قُلْ say, tell them, Allah. Allah's testimony is the greatest testimony. Meaning that if Allah tells you something, then you have to accept that. Why? Because Allah's knowledge is the most. And وَمَنْ أَصْدَقُ مِنَ اللَّهِ قِيلًا Who is more truthful than Allah in speech? وَمَنْ أَصْدَقُ مِنَ اللَّهِ حَدِيثًا No one is more truthful than Allah in their speech. Allah is the one who is most truthful. So if Allah is telling you that Muhammad wasallam is the messenger, then isn't that enough? Isn't that sufficient? So what if a cow is not saying that? So what if a camel is not saying that? What's the big deal? Allah Azza wa Jal is telling you, Muhammad wasallam is Nabiullah. Accept His word. Take His word. 
قل الله سے اللہ شہید witness meaning he is a witness baini between me wa bainakum and between you meaning he knows about my reality he is a witness between me and you he knows what i'm telling you and he knows how you're reacting he knows that i am the messenger and you are disbelieving wa uhiya and it has been revealed ilayya to me meaning o muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam say this to the people that it has been revealed to me what has been revealed to me هذا القرآن, this Qur'an. This Qur'an has been revealed to me لِأُنذِرَكُمْ So that I warn you, بِهِ with it. This Qur'an has been given to me so that I warn you with this Qur'an. And who else? وَمَنْ And whoever بَلَغَ It reached. Meaning, I have been given this Qur'an so that I warn you. And I also warn all those whom this Qur'an reaches. Meaning not just the people of Makkah, not just the people of Arabia, but people of all times and all ages and all places from now onwards. The Prophet ﷺ was to warn them. How? Through this Qur'an. وَأُوحِيَ إِلَيَّ هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ لِأُنذِرَكُمْ بِهِ وَمَنْ بَلَغْ And this has also been understood in another way. وَمَنْ بَلَغْ That the one to whom this Qur'an reaches, they are to warn with this Qur'an. Meaning any person who receives the Qur'an, who learns the Qur'an, then what are they to do? Warn others with this Qur'an. Warn them about what? About the hereafter. About the reality of this life. أَإِنَّكُمْ The Prophet ﷺ is made to ask the people that do you, لَتَشْهَدُونَ You all testify, أَنَّ That indeed, مَعَ اللَّهِ with Allah, آلِهَةً أُخْرَى Other gods? Are you saying that there are other gods with Allah? Meaning there are other beings who deserve worship besides Allah? If they say yes, there are many gods besides Allah whom we acknowledge, whom we worship. قُلْ Say to them, لَا أَشْهَدْ I do not testify. Meaning, I do not accept that there is any being worthy of worship besides Allah. Because this was their main problem. They wouldn't believe in Muhammad wasallam. They would keep asking for miracles and evidences and proofs and testimonies. Why? Because they didn't like the fact that he was condemning shirk. They wanted to continue with their shirk. This was the main problem. Otherwise, Muhammad wasallam was known to be the most truthful person. Right? They didn't have a problem who he was. They had a problem with what he was saying. So the Prophet ﷺ is made to ask them, that say, أَإِنَّكُمْ لَتَشْهَدُونَ أَنَّ مَعَ اللَّهِ آلِهَةً أُخْرَى You said there are other gods besides Allah. قُلْ لَا أَشْهَدْ Say, I do not testify at all. قُلْ Say, إِنَّمَا Indeed not, but هُوَ إِلَهُ وَاحِدْ He is only one God. وَإِنَّنِي And indeed I, بَرِيءٌ Innocent. مِمَّا تُشْرِكُونَ From that which you associate. Bari from the root letters Bara, Hamza. Bara'a is to declare disassociation. So I am Bari, meaning I am disassociated with everything that you associate with Allah. Meaning I have nothing to do with your shirk. I do not acknowledge it at all. I do not commit it. I do not endorse it. I do not agree with it. Rather I dislike it. I disconnect myself from it. So what do we learn in this ayah? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's testimony is the greatest. Which means that if He says something, if He tells us something, that is 100% true. And once He has said something, we don't need the acknowledgement of others. 
Because many times it happens, we read something in the Qur'an and then we want scientific evidence. We want some research to prove that yes, it is good. To prove that what's in the Qur'an is correct. But we don't need any research. If Allah has said something, then we believe in it. Then we also learn over here that the Qur'an is enough to warn people with. Because the Prophet ﷺ was given the Qur'an to warn people with. And if a person is not warned by the Qur'an, then they cannot be warned by anything. Meaning if the Qur'an doesn't affect a person, then may Allah help them. And also we learned that once the Qur'an has reached a person, he has understood it, then, then what? He has to accept it, and he also has to warn other people with it. وَمَنْ بَلَغْ Alright, let's listen to the recitation of these verses. وَإِنْ يَمْسَسْكَ اللَّهُ بِضُرٍ فَلَا كَاشِفَ لَهُ إِلَّا هُوَ وَإِنْ يَمْسَسْكَ بِخَيْرٍ فَهُوَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ وَهُوَ الْقَاهِرُ فَوْقَ عِبَادِهِ وَهُوَ الْحَكِيمُ الْخَبِيرُ قُلْ أَيُّ شَيْءٍ أَكْبَرُ شَهَادَةً قُلِ اللَّهُ شَهِيدٌ بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَكُمْ وَأُوحِيَ إِلَيَّ هَذَا الْقُرْآنُ لِأُنذِرَكُمْ بِهِ وَمَنْ بَلَغُ أَإِنَّكُمْ لَتَشْهَدُونَ أَنَّ مَعَ اللَّهِ آلِهَةً أُخْرَى قُلْ لَا أَشْهَدُ قُلْ إِنَّمَا هُوَ إِلَهٌ وَاحِدٌ وَإِنَّنِي بَرِيءٌ مِمَّا تُشْرِكُونَ سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته